keys. I asked Mr. Hirspink if I could borrow some of his, and this is what I got. I decided it was a good thing I had suspenders on when I put them in my pocket. Keys let you into places. Keys let you get at your things. Keys can protect them too, but if the keys are yours, they allow you to enter. There's keys here for classrooms and offices and exit doors and entrance doors and cabinets and storage closets and file cabinets and desks. You name it, there's a key for it here. All of these keys are important and all of these keys are useful. But there's another way we use the word key and that's as a kind of a guide, as a a way of understanding. The key to understanding is, we often say, or the key to a test has all of its answers. There are a lot of people right now in this world and in this country and in this community who are looking for happiness, trying to find a key that opens the door to happiness. A lot of them are looking in the wrong places. If only there was health, if only there was peace, if only there was justice, all of which are important, but none of which lead to permanent happiness. These keys get you in the doors or drawers, but they don't get you to happiness. The key we're talking about is here. In God's word, the key that opens his word to us and its meaning to us and allows us to enter into real and lasting happiness. That's what the Beatitudes are all about, the happinesses. And the key to happiness, Christ tells us today, is to be meek. Blessed, happy, oh, the happiness of the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God's word to children this morning, with an object to remember, but since all of us are God's children, his word to us all. The text in an ongoing series of messages on living right side up in an upside down world. And it does seem like every time we get together and we're now starting to get together, it's nice for me to see people in pews. It's a little more upside down than it was before. The secret to happiness in an upside down world is to be meek. Blessed, happy are the meek. That's how to live right side up in an upside down world. Today's English version translates that this way, blessed are the humble. J.B. Phillips said, blessed are those who claim nothing. 
The New English Bible has, blessed are those of gentle spirit. And the message puts it this way, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. But what is meek? I used to know a fella whose nickname was Blinky. People called him that. Not to his face, behind his back. And not really to be mean, he was a nice enough guy, but he was nervous. And when anybody came toward him, he started to fidget with his fingers like this. And if you talked to him, he blinked incessantly. And so they called him Blinky. Harmless, inoffensive, quiet, unassuming sort of guy. Was Blinky meek? Is that what it means to be meek? And more importantly, are you meek? And even if you think you aren't, what would you have to be? What would you have to do? What would you have to become if you were going to really try to be meek? Listen now to William Barclay's extensive paraphrase of this simple little 10-word sentence, which is not just a proverb, not just a hope, but really an expectation of God, of us all, that shows what an enormous challenge is right there before us now. Oh, the bliss of the one who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct and impulse and passion under control because he is himself God-controlled, who has the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness for such a one is a king among men. I wonder if we're ready for this one. To try to understand meekness, let's do a, a very simple and short word study to start with. It's a Greek word that we're talking about, and in secular Greek usage, the word meek almost always referred to people or things that had a, a soothing effect on people. They could speak words that would calm things down. They were like ointment that you put on a cut and it stopped stinging. It was like the gentleness in the voice of a lover who could put the loved one's heart at peace. Meekness, the Greeks said, was the attitude that ought to prevail in every, get this, argument. So that you would never, while discussing, lose your temper. 
Meekness was the spirit of an animal that had been tamed and had learned to accept discipline. And meekness was most often a characteristic that combined both gentleness and strength. In the Old Testament, meekness was the way you were supposed to answer anyone who spoke to you and go about your daily business. It's contrasted regularly in the Old Testament <clears throat> with pride. It is pride's opposite. And meekness is sometimes also contrasted with sin. In the New Testament, it's always associated with love and gentleness and lowliness and humility. It, it is the spirit in which to learn, to be receptive, to be accepting, to welcome it in. It is the spirit in which not just to experience, but to exact discipline. It is to set someone up on his or her feet gently and point that person in the right direction with love. It's the attitude that ought to prevail in Christian witness. In fact, it's the attitude that ought to prevail in every Christian's life all the time. I have to confess that I got the idea for the title for this message, Happy Medium, from Aristotle, of all people, who actually defined meekness once and said meekness is the happy medium between too much anger and too little. Meekness was living medium, in the middle, under control, but such control to be always angry at the right time for the right reason in the right way and never angry at the wrong time for the wrong reason in the wrong way is utterly beyond human accomplishment. So for someone to be controlled that way, the control must come from somewhere else and the somewhere else is a someone else, namely God. We heard from Psalm 37 this morning, the first 11 of 40 verses in that psalm. The part we heard could be described, I think, quite accurately as a picture of the meek. This is what meek people are like. The third beatitude comes directly out of that psalm. It is as if Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37, verse 11, when he offers this third beatitude. And this psalm 37 describes believers as putting their trust in God. Let me just remind you of some of what you heard when that was read. Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 3. Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 4. Commit your way to the Lord. Verse 5. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 7, and that's a description of the people with whom this 11-verse segment ends. But the meek will inherit 
the land and enjoy great peace. Maybe it will help if we listen to James Montgomery Boyce who explained meekness by referring us to, of all people, Moses. Who is described in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, as a very humble man. Now the word humble there is the same as the word meek. It's just translated as humble. So let's replace it with the word meek. A very meek man, in fact, and I'm quoting now, the meekest man on the face of the earth. And if you know anything about Moses at all, you know he wasn't a blinky. The description, that particular description of Moses was in the midst of a passage that described a rebellion against Moses by his own brother Aaron and sister Miriam, quote, because of his Cushite wife. Moses had been married to a woman named Zipporah who died and he remarried a Cushite woman, an Ethiopian woman, an African woman. And Boyce writes, and the point of the story lies in the fact that the Cushite was black. And those who were closest to Moses felt that the stock of Israel was being compromised by the mixed marriage. We have every reason for believing that the rebellion was based purely on racial prejudice. It seemingly was against her racial characteristics and skin color that Miriam and Aaron rebelled. Now, if there are still doubts about this interpretation of the story, these should be dispelled by the sequel. For God gave a punishment to Miriam, the instigator, that was frighteningly appropriate to her prejudice. The Bible says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. In other words, God said to Miriam, You're brown. This woman is black. And you think white is better. All right? have more of it. So she became a leper as God used the incident to teach that there was to be no racial prejudice in Israel. Now in the midst of all of this difficult, interpersonal struggling and division, what was Moses' reaction? What was Moses' response? Did he retaliate? Did he seek revenge? Did he defend himself? Did he slander Miriam and Aaron? Not at all, writes Boyce. Moses submitted himself to God. That was his meekness. He bowed low before God and was vindicated. Thus, in this response, Moses became a forerunner of the conduct of Jesus Christ, who did not sin. Neither was guilt found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. That's in 1 Peter 2. Meekness of this sort will take off its shoes before the burning bush, yet will obey God by walking up to the mightiest ruler of the day and demanding, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go. 
Maybe a slightly more contemporary illustration would also be helpful. I was really interested two weeks ago or so, the morning after John Lewis died. His life and his death were being described by morning news talk folks. And John Meacham was on this program, a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian, and without anyone suggesting this, Meacham observed that John Lewis seemed to know what to be angry about and how to be angry about it and still love and accept people. And then he said, John Lewis always lived out the Beatitudes in his life. That's an illustration of what it means to be angry at the right time and have enough anger, but not too much. John Stott even makes the interesting observation that the position of this third beatitude, between the second and the fourth, between blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the wickedness of humanity, and the fourth one, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The position of this third one between those two tells you something about what it means. To be so overwhelmed by the reality of your own sin as to go into mourning and to be so desirous of being like what God wants you to be that you are hungry and thirsty for it will help you know how much anger to have and never have too much or too little. That's how to live, medium, and we all must. For, Christ says, they will inherit the earth. Or today's English version puts it, they will receive what God has promised. Or J.B. Phillips again, for the whole earth will belong to them. Or the New English Bible, they shall have the earth for their possession. Or the message, that's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. People so in the control of God that they seem to be out of this world and not in possession of this world are the inheritors of this world? How, how can they inherit the earth? What does this mean? I don't believe Jesus was saying, if you truly surrender to God and yield your life to him and seek to live it under his control, that you will inevitably become a propertied landowner. It was something other. Something better than that. When we become fully God's possession... When we belong to him, then all his treasures belong to us. Listen again to Paul's powerful words to the Corinthians. So then no more boasting about people. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. 
In the early days of the Society of Friends, the Quakers, they were severely persecuted. Their worship pattern was to meet in a one-room building they called the meeting hall and to wait for God to speak to them. The authorities secured permission to invade many of those meeting houses. And when they did, they burst in unannounced, broke up the meeting, beat some of the Quakers, arrested some, and put them in prison. And even in prison, they still kept as much as possible, and in as many ways as possible, meeting together. One time this happened in the winter, and someone who was there said, when they had wrecked the meeting house, which was a frequent pattern of destroying the building so you couldn't do it again, when they had wrecked the meeting house all around them, the friends just went on meeting in the snow. And someone said, you can't break or dispossess or destroy the meek. They will inherit the earth. You see, for Israel, to whom Jesus was speaking these beatitudes, the land was never just earth, ground, property, but promised land. And promised land was not just Palestine, but it was wherever God exercised his control over his people and they surrendered theirs to him. So the promise to the meek is to be in possession of the place where God is in charge. And it begins in the heart, but then extends into relationships with fellow believers and others, and it awaits its final fulfillment in a new heaven and a new earth where the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So there you have it. Another simple sounding statement. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth with absolutely unbelievable implications. Not just a blessing on particularly gentle people, but in reality, a call to war. To fight every impulse within me, to hang on to some of me, and say, that's my business. And a war that resists any inclination not to let God have it all. The meek person is a person under control. Not his own control, but God's. A person who has heard and heeded the invitation of Christ. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And in coming to the meek one, we become his meek ones who can finally not only say but live out the implications of this beatitude. Oh, the bliss 
of the one who's always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who has every instinct, every impulse and passion under control because he is himself God-controlled, who has the humility to realize his own ignorance and his own weakness, for such a one is a king among people. Or as David put it in that psalm, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thought this one was a little simpler. And in reality, it's maybe even bigger and certainly harder. Help us to be opposed in love to all that is opposed to you in us and in society around us. And to seek to surrender ourselves completely to you and to your service. Particularly in a world that seems all upside down and coming apart at the seams. Please help us to show, not just to say, but to show in our living what by God's grace it means to be right side up and meek. In Jesus' name, amen.